Hey everyone, you can open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 13. We're going to be popping around a little bit. We'll try to put the verses on the screen beneath me when we get to them, but we'll, we'll spend a lot of our time in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And so as you do that, let me tell you a story. Uh, about five years ago, uh, I'd been serving in church leadership for five years, okay? And I realized something that alarmed me at that time. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I, I, I mean, I knew how to pray around dinner. I knew how to pray at night. I knew how to pray and to pray at big moments. I, I knew how to even lead a congregation in a prayer meeting or how to lead public prayer. But I had never been taught what it meant to engage in a lifestyle of prayer. I just had never been taught how to do that. I didn't even know something like that was desirable and possible. And I seemed, whenever I was praying, to lack the words to pray. I would return to the same old patterns of prayer again and again, feeling like I was repeating the same old tired lines. My prayer was more of a bored performance than a burning presence. And yet, I met people who seemed to be uniquely marked by prayer. And I sat under their leadership, I th and I listened to them pray. I think about prayer warriors like Steve Harden or Jana Hoffman. I studied the prayer life of church mothers and fathers, whether it was the marathon prayer sessions of Hudson Taylor or the breath prayers of St. Teresa of Avila. I realized that I desired to embark on a life of prayer, and I desperately needed help. So I went to the scriptures and I began to search the scriptures to find, is there a pattern of prayer that I can imitate in the Bible? Is there a pattern of a life of prayer or a picture of what prayer can be in the ordinary days and moments of my life? And listen, I think this is absolutely crucial for us because I not only want to be marked by prayer, I want us to be a church family who is committed to prayer. A people marked by the presence of God in prayer. And that's why we're giving our whole attention this month to prayer. If last month in September we were focusing on Sabbath rest, there is the very important question of what do we do when we stop doing those other things? And prayer. Prayer is, is the dominant food of Sabbath. If, if Sabbath is clearing the table, prayer is the meal that's set before us. Prayer is the invitation after we embrace Sabbath rest. And so here in October, we're going to focus this whole month on prayer. This Sunday, I'm preaching on prayer. Many of us will gather in person today on Sunday. Some of you will watch this or listen to this digital service. But we've also provided a guide for you to use on other Sundays this month to practice family worship together. That's how we're worshiping as a church family. That guide is available on the homepage of mosaicrichardson.com. It's also available because we've mailed hard copies of it to your homes. And the last Sunday of this month, we're going to present two opportunities for us to gather corporately to pray. And I have to tell you, I believe that we need this message and this is a word for the people of Mosaic, and it emerges from the griefs and the intercessions of my heart. We, as a church family, struggle with persevering prayer. We, as a church family, struggle with persevering prayer. And I have to tell you, unfortunately, that we have found at Mosaic that it doesn't matter whether we offer childcare, whether we do it in the early a.m. or in the late p.m., via video after the kids go down or in person before the sun comes up, whether we clear a Sunday to make it a priority or we commit a whole month to it, we have found that at Mosaic it always seems that there's a reason to not gather to pray. And that burdens my heart. 
It burdens my heart because prayer is how we speak to and hear from God. And I want us to be a people who speak to and hear from God, who are marked by his presence. It seems like we live in a cultural moment where Christians, like the broader culture, are willing to shout our griefs, desires, hopes, longings, fears, sorrows, needs, joys, and thanksgiving into the void of social media where no one hears, as opposed to bringing them to the God who hears. So here's what we're going to do today. We are going to consider what, did it, what would it look like for us to enter into a life marked by persevering prayer. And to do that, we're going to address three questions. What is prayer? Why do we pray? And how do we pray? What is prayer? Why do we pray? How do we pray? So I'm going to read Matthew 6, 9 through 13 to get us started. We're going to pop around a little bit to see what the Bible has to say about prayer. And then we will end back in this passage that I'm going to read for you. As after I read this, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And it's an invitation for you to give thanks and to say, thanks be to God that he hasn't left his people in silence, that he has spoken. So let me read Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we embark on a life of prayer, it's important that we know what prayer is. So we're going to begin there. What is prayer? What is prayer? Well, I want to go back, way, way, way back from the Matthew passage where Jesus teaches the disciples to pray to look at Abraham's prayer life with God. And so this verse will be on the screen beneath me, but I'm, I want to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 18. And in Genesis chapter 18, we have Abraham talking with God, interceding with God, meaning that he is bringing petition and request to God. He is addressing God, and he is bringing to God the request of his heart. And in this particular situation, do you know what he's interceding on behalf of? He's interceding on behalf of Sodom. He has relatives that live there, and he wants to see them rescued because God has said he's going to judge Sodom. And in Genesis 18, verses 22 through 23, uh, 22 through 33, excuse me, Abraham begins to appeal to the Lord, begins to appeal to the Lord and really speak to God and hear from God on behalf of Sodom. And this is what he says in verse 27, and I think it's a really incredible snapshot of what the whole of Scripture says about prayer. Genesis 18, verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Now, there's a lot going on in Genesis 18, verses 22 through 23, or 33, but I want to focus in on verse 27, because I think it captures the question, the answer to the question, what is prayer? Abraham says, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. So let's pause there. Abraham is saying, listen, what am I doing right now? I am speaking to the Lord. And then he qualifies that, I who am but dust and ashes. You see, in this one verse, we see the wonder of prayer. That God, the creator of the whole world, would lean his ear in to listen 
to the voice of we who are but dust and ashes. You see, that's the wonder of prayer, that God listens to his created people. God listens to us who are but dust and ashes. God, creator of the whole world, Lord and sustainer, keeper, protector, provider of all things, he hears us. Now, it is the kindness of God that he has spoken to us, but I think it is a double kindness that the God who has spoken to us is willing to listen when we speak to him. And what does Abraham say and ask of God? Well, he appeals to him. This conversation between Abraham and God, it goes back and forth. It reminds us of Moses' intercession after Israel's rebellion at Sinai, where God said he would give them the promised land, but he wouldn't go with them. What did Moses do? He interceded. He went and appealed to God. He said, if we get the promised land and we don't get you, we get nothing. We're not going to the promised land if you're not coming with us. And God went with his people. You see, the prayer life that we see from Abraham and Moses and David, and yes, even the Son of God, Jesus Christ, it gives us a picture that prayer is fundamentally conversation with God. That's what prayer is. It's conversation with God. It is speaking to God and hearing from God. Uh, I think that that is something that a lot of times we we miss when we consider prayer, that prayer is a two-way street, so to speak. It is us speaking to God and, and us hearing from God. And it is vital that both of those elements are honored in prayer. It is vital that we don't just rush into the presence of God, shout a few requests at Him, say amen, close up shop, and move on. Because prayer is speaking to God and hearing from God. It is conversation. Prayer is presence with God. It is conversation with Him, hearing from Him, and speaking to Him. And in order for this to happen, our hearts have to be open to God. There's this incredible quote from Coretta Scott King, certainly a mother of prayer and the wife to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. She said this, it'll be on the screen beneath me, prayer is how we open our hearts to God. Prayer is how we open our hearts to God. How do we hear from God? How do we speak to God? Well, we, we tell him where we are. We tell him who we are, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing. We, we bring that to God. David Mathis, who's written on prayer, he says this about prayer. Prayer is having God's ear. Prayer is having God's ear. It is a grace that God, the creator of the world, spoke to us. And certainly God would have much to say. He created the whole world. But what double grace that the God who is perfect listens to we who are imperfect. That the God who knows everything listens to we who don't know everything. That the God who is all-powerful listens to us who don't have power. See, prayer is conversation with God. But why would we pray? What does prayer actually accomplish? And I want to be careful here addressing this question because asking why should we pray for the Christian is a bit like saying, well, why would you talk to your mother? Or why would you talk to your father? Or why would you talk to your friend or your spouse or your roommate or your child? We typically look to speak to and hear from those whom we love. So I, I want to be careful that in addressing why do we pray that I don't give you something that's beyond God himself. 
Now, God does things through prayer, and we're about to talk about some of those things. But I would want to be careful that when you think about why do we pray, the first thought that you have is that prayer brings us into relationship with God. It renews that and cultivates our fellowship with God. And we love God, and we are loved by God. So prayer, though. Prayer and the, and the question around why we pray, I think this uh, is, is one of the more honest and genuine questions that we have. Because there's a lot of confusion around the purpose of prayer. And I think many are terrified of admitting that they experience something that is absolutely ordinary in prayer. Many people feel like, well, my prayers don't do anything. And this is an incredibly ordinary experience in the life of prayer. This sense of purposelessness in prayer. The sense that our prayers just kind of reach the ceiling and stay in the room. That they never make it through the roof to God. But let me tell you something. God wants to meet you in prayer and God is going to work through prayer. Philippians 4, 4-7 through 7 is an incredible passage to just give you a brief snapshot of one of the ways that God works through prayer. Let me read Philippians 4, 4 through 7 for you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your, guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is an incredible passage. Uh, Paul begins by telling the church, rejoice in the Lord. And pivotal to prayer, as we'll see in just a moment, is rejoicing, is adoration. It is celebrating what is true about who God is and what he has done. He moves on from there. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The, the Lord is at hand, meaning the Lord is close to you. God is near. He is in our midst. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Why? Well, by, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, Paul says, listen, rejoice in who God is and what he has done. But you don't have to stop there. Give thanks that God has done these things. Remind your heart of his faithfulness, of his goodness and his generosity and his kindness to you. And as you do that, bring your request to God. Now, why would we do this? Why would we bring our request to God? Why would we celebrate who he is? Why would we give thanks? Well, listen, prayer is one of the central ways we enjoy God. So if you're asking, why should I pray? Well, here's my question for you. Do you want to enjoy God? Because many of us as Christians learn to live our life as, meaning Christians, as we can answer all the right questions on a quiz about what we believe about God, but our intimacy and our relationship with God is functionally non-existent. Prayer is one of the ways that we cultivate rich enjoyment of who God is. It's one of the ways that we converse with God and hear from Him. It's the way that we cultivate our relationship with Him. And it's in prayer that we are reminded of God's goodness, His, His grace. And it, prayer is one of the ways that we encounter Him and that we are renewed and refreshed as we spend time with Him. And as Philippians says, we end up receiving His gifts through prayer. In Philippians 4, it's peace. How is Paul saying you're going to receive the peace of God? Through prayer. Through bringing your anxieties and your worries and your fears to him. Rejoicing in who he is and what he has done. Giving thanks for who he is and what he has done in your life. And bringing your requests and supplications. Bringing your needs, your desires, your hopes, your longings 
to God. I am often amazed. And it's like the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Uh, that when there are times of great sorrow and struggle and suffering, I am often so reluctant to bring those things before God, and yet he is the one who can do what I can't do in that situation. Many of us find ourselves on these hamster wheels of sorrow or suffering or trial. And God is inviting us to bring our needs, to bring our needness, to bring our requests, to bring our petitions to him over and over again. And here's what happens. There is not often the solution we'd want, but that there's the peace that we need in prayer. And, and that is one of the ways that God moves through prayer, is that God begins to change us through prayer. So prayer is one of the ways that we enjoy God, but God also changes us through prayer. He brings our life into increasing alignment with who he is, what he has done, and his will in this situation. This is one of the ways that prayer works on our lives, and it's often unseen and unfelt. Prayer aligns us with the purposes of God. As we remember who he is, we remember that he is good, that he's worthy of our trust, that he's great, that he's in charge of everything, that he's glorious, that he satisfies the desires of his people, and that he's gracious, that he saves his people. You see, these are the things that as we are reminded of them, they continue to bring us into alignment with who God is and what he has done. You see, God changes us through prayer, but God also changes the world through prayer. God has chosen to drive home his purposes in the world through prayer. You could say, and you see this throughout the Bible, and we're uncomfortable talking about it because woven into it is divine mystery. But I got to tell you, you can look all throughout scripture and you will see that prayer moves the hand of God. Not because he needs it and not because he is reactive, but because in his good providence, God has determined to drive home his purposes in the world through prayer. Let me say something that I hope startles you here. There are things that will not be done in your life that will not be done in the world, that will not be accomplished in the life of our church apart from prayer. Let me, let me say that again for you. There are things that will not be accomplished in your life, in the life of the world, in the life of this church apart from prayer. Not because God is in need of it, but because God is determined to work in us as he works through us into the life of the world and the life of the church. There are things that we will not see realized in our life, in the life of the world, and in the life of the church apart from the prayers of God's people. This is clear. That God moves through the prayers of his people in order to change the world, to change their lives, and to change the life of the church. And this is one of the reasons why I am so desperate for us to become a people of prayer. Because there are things, things that you believe in, things that you want to see to be true about Mosaic Church. We will not see them to be true until we begin to pray fervently, with perseverance, and with urgency and maybe over a long period of time. This is how God moves in the life of his people, helping them to realize that as he is doing a great work through them, he is doing a great work in them, preparing them to be the kind of people who can receive the answer to the prayers that they are praying. Prayer 
is one of the ways that God moves in us and that God moves through us. And prayer is also the proper channel for our joy, our fear, our worry, our anger, our sadness. You see this in Philippians 4. Rejoice, okay? Bring your joy to God. Bring it to Him. Celebrate it. Bring your anxiety to God. Bring your thanksgiving to God, and you will receive peace. Let me tell you something. Prayer is the proper channel for our joy, our fear, our worry, our anger, and our sadness. They belong to prayer like a fish belongs to the sea. It's where these emotions are meant to live. And I I have to tell you, and this is going to step on our toes here, I have to tell you that we, as digital natives, have become far more accustomed to showcasing these emotions to a watching world through social media than we have to bringing them to God in private prayer. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that there is a really strong desire, temptation, and culture right now that it is far more effective for you to tell the world that you're angry, sad, scared, delighting, hopeful, or longing than to come before God. Let me tell you something. You can scream into the void of social media about the joys and the sorrows and the longings of your heart until you're blue in the face, and no one on the other side of that is going to be able to do anything about it. But God, God hears his people. He hears them, and he's actually inviting you to bring that in. Men, when you're so frustrated at work, and you're so tired and anxious and you feel so wound tight and you think, if I go home like this, I'm going to pop off. Do you know what God is inviting you to do? To bring that anxiety into his presence. To practice self-control by saying, you know what? I can literally shout in a hundred different directions about what I'm feeling right now and none of these people could do anything and many of them could be the victims of unrighteous anger. But God is inviting me to bring this to him and he can do something about it. He can do something about it. I know that there is a lot of desire right now for emotional authenticity. That's valuable. But emotional authenticity is only as good as the home that it lives in. And I got to tell you, a lot of us are taking our emotional authenticity and we are throwing it like spaghetti on the wall and it is not sticking and nothing is being done about it. And the reason for that is because prayer is the invitation of God all throughout the Psalms to bring how we feel into God's presence, knowing that he is the one who is capable of aligning who we are, aligning how we feel, or, and or, changing the world around us. This is an invitation of God for us to bring our anxieties and our worries, our hopes, our longings, our joys, our desires, our needs into God's presence. And I have to tell you, it is incredibly rich. I mean, if I could just testify for a moment as one who is prone to anxiety, let me tell you something. There is nothing better than bringing my anxiety and fear into the presence of God. I don't always receive the solution that I want, but I always receive the peace that I need. There is nothing better than bring our lament and our righteous anger to God. Do you know why? Because God can change the world. And he is intending to do so through the prayers of his people, driving home his purposes in the world around us. 
There has been much to grieve and lament in the last six months, and I anticipate there will be more in the six months ahead. And if we are not careful, we will just begin to ingest that, to digest that, and we cannot metabolize it any other way than through prayer. There is no way that we can process the grief the anger and the lament that we feel about the brokenness of the world around us any other way than through prayer. It is the only way in which God has invited us to drive home his good purposes in the world. Prayer changes us. Prayer is how we encounter and enjoy God. Prayer changes the world. Prayer is the proper channel for our joy, our fear, our worry, our anger, our sadness. And let me tell you something else. Prayer is war against evil. Prayer is war against evil. And listen, you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 6 in the armor of God. You're familiar with what Paul says here. But let me just read it for you because we need this word right now. Because let me tell you something that it is easy for us to forget. Evil exists in the world. There is an enemy. That enemy is Satan. And that enemy is determined to thwart God's purposes. And he never will. But goodness, he seems like he comes close sometimes. This spiritual enemy is opposing all that which is good, true, and beautiful in the world. He is opposing the kingdom of God. And he is actively at work. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil at work in the heavenly places. And then he begins to tell them to take up the armor of God, standing firm. And then it says, in all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And then in verse 18, he says this, Praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul says, essentially, in verses 18 through 19, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and intense prayer. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making intense prayer. Paul is telling you that if you want to oppose evil in the world, prayer is the primary way of doing that. Prayer is the primary way for the people of God to say, this is wrong. This is evil. This is false. And God, we need you to move and do something about it. Prayer is the central way that we war against evil. I feel like in these days, we have been kind of catalyzed once again. I don't know if it's because of the subculture or if it's because of culturally where we're at, but there is a real desire right now to call something evil and oppose it. And for the Christian, our battle plan has been laid out very clearly, our opposition to evil is primarily a work of prayer. It's primarily a work of prayer, believing that God is one day going to crush and root out not just the power of evil, but its presence. Its presence. When you think about why we pray, Nicky Gumbel, an Anglican pastor in London, he says this, the quote will be, the quote will be on the screen beneath me, and I think this is so rich. 
When we pray, God hears more than we say, answers more than we ask, gives more than we imagine in his own time and in his own way. That, that bears repeating. It, this is good, okay? When we pray, God hears more than we say, answers more than we ask, and gives more than we imagine in his own time and in his own way. Prayer is how we enjoy and encounter God. It's the primary means by which God works in us and God works through us. It's the proper channel for us to bring our emotions into God's presence. And it is the way that we wage war with evil in the world around us. But how do we pray? Okay? So if prayer is conversation with God, and you know now why we pray, you may be thinking, yeah, but listen, Pastor, I, I don't feel comfortable praying. How do I pray? Well, this is what the disciples asked Jesus. And in Matthew 6, 5 through 13, Jesus gives them the answer. And I'm going to read the verses before the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer together. And I'm going to be using an acronym here. You may have heard of the ACTS method of prayer. That's incredibly helpful. Adoration, celebrating who God is and what he has done. Confession, acknowledging our need and our neediness before God. Thanksgiving, giving thanks for who God is and what he has done and how he has blessed us. Supplication, bringing our request to God. That is so helpful. I'm going to use a different acronym, and maybe you will find it helpful. And it's from a guy named Pete Gregg. He's behind the 24-7 prayer movement, and this acronym is PRAY. PRAY, P-R-A-Y. That's a good acronym to talk about prayer, right? PRAY, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Let me, let me show you where he's getting this kind of structure from. In Matthew 6, verse 5 through 13, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So before Jesus actually tells the disciples, this is how you pray, giving them the Lord's Prayer, he tells them how not to pray. He gives them kind of a lesson in contrast. This is how you don't pray. And he uses the Pharisees as an example. Now, Jesus is not saying there's no room for public prayer. He prays publicly, and his disciples pray publicly. And 1 Timothy, Paul tells us to pray publicly. And so public prayer is a good thing. It's a valuable thing. But what Jesus is addressing is a culture of performance, where we only really pray when we're kind of in front of people. That our public prayer is not backed up by a personal, vibrant prayer life. And a key component to that is pausing. A key component to cultivating a vibrant prayer life with the Lord is pausing. Now, we just spent all of September talking about Sabbath rest, and so you have that coming into this. But Sabbath rest is a key way in which we pause on a weekly basis. But even daily and, and hourly and weekly and monthly, there's an invitation for us to pause, to create space silence, solitude. Jesus tells them what? Truly I say to you, these people have received the reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door 
and pray to your Father who sees in secret. I mean, Jesus tells them, get to a place of quiet. Get to a place of silence and solitude. For some of you, this may be in your car in the parking lot for the five minutes before walking into the office or the restaurant or going back home or picking up the kids in a school line. Do you know where it has been for me a lot since we became parents? This is a little bit embarrassing, but honestly, it, this is where I can go and get it, is the bathroom. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, so don't look at me like I'm a crazy person. But going into the bathroom, turning on the fan, and just pausing and saying, God, help me. <laughs> or stepping out on the into the backyard and just pausing and breathing out and saying, Lord, I need you. I'm anxious about this thing. I'm worried about this thing. Or God, thank you for this. What a blessing that is. Pausing is crucial to cultivating a life of prayer. Pausing is a part of praying. Dr. Howard Thurman, one of the most influential African-American spiritual leaders of the 20th century, he doubles down on this call to pause. He says this, the quote will be on the screen beneath me. Prayer is not only the participation in communication with God, but it is also the readying of the spirit for such communication. Perhaps as important as prayer itself is the readying of the spirit of the experience. Dr. Thurman is telling us, pausing is a part of prayer. He's saying exactly what Jesus says here. Go to a place where you can be alone with God. That may be a minute out back. That may be five minutes in your car. It may be in the early morning hours before things get moving or in the evening hours after things have wound down. Find a quiet place to pray. It doesn't have to be long. But there should be some time where you still your heart and you quiet your heart before the Lord. Pausing, but why do we pause? Well, Jesus tells the disciples, okay, so you've gone to the quiet place. Pray then like this. How does he begin? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The invitation is for us to begin our prayer by rejoicing in who God is by reminding ourselves of who he is and what he has done. And why is this crucial? Why is it crucial for us to begin our prayer by looking to God and knowing who he is, reminding ourselves of who he is, reminding ourselves of what he has done? It's crucial because when we look to God, we are reminded of his power and his character. It begins to shape the way that we are going to pray and the intensity of our prayer. We often pray feeble prayers because we rush right into the presence of God, bringing our requests and our needs to Him. And God invites us to bring our requests and our needs to Him. But if we show up to God like He's the great grandfather in the sky, then we will treat Him as a feeble and frail old man who might be benevolent, but is largely impotent to be able to address our concerns. But if we will take a moment and pause and say, this is the God who created the world. This is the God who is sovereign over all things. This is how I've seen God move in the world. Then by the time that you get to your request, you will be making requests of a God who you know is more than capable to do everything that we ask and even more than we ask in prayer. You see, we begin by rejoicing in prayer so that our prayers are shaped by the character of God and by the power of God. The, that they shape not just the intensity of the requests that we can make because he is more than able, but they shape the kind of requests we would make. 
that we will begin to request things that accord and that are in alignment with the heart of God because we will be reminded of who he is, that he is loving and gracious, that he is righteous and holy, that he is just and merciful, that he is beautiful and true. This will shape not merely the intensity of our needs, our petition, our asks of God, but the very character of them. Because Jesus tells the disciples, having rejoiced, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we pause, we rejoice, and then we ask. We ask. This is where our prayer life tends to be strongest, is making requests of God. And that's okay, because God is good and we, we're needy. And we're invited by God to pester Him with our prayers and our asking. I can tell you that there are requests that God is going to grant, but He invites us to persevere in the petition, because we are not yet prepared to receive the answer. There are things that are only going to be granted after a prolonged season of prayer. And that through that prolonged season, God is forming and fashioning you into the kind of person who will be ready to receive what he has intended to give all along. God invites us to bring our request for provision, our request for forgiveness, our request for strength and for perseverance, he invites us to bring those to him. Knowing that we are needy, knowing that we lack, God is inviting us to bring those to him so that we might be made strong, so that we might be strengthened. And I feel in these days that we have glorified the neediness side. And we are needy. That is true. Absolutely true. We've glorified the neediness side. You're needy. You're needy. You can't do anything. You lack. You All you have is need. But do you know what prayer does? Prayer actually brings the believer into a God-ordained strength and perseverance and fortitude and resilience because in prayer, we are reminded that while we are weak, he is strong and that we are in him and that he is our very strength. Like Paul says, I'm toiling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. For the Christian, let me say it like this. Weakness is the way into God, but when we leave the presence of God, God intends for us to leave with strength, with confidence in his power, in his purposes, and in his plan. So we pause. We rejoice celebrating who God is and what he has done, shaping the intensity and the character of what we will ask of God. And then we yield. We yield. We lay down our weapons. We remind ourselves and pledge allegiance to God. We remind ourselves that we are loyal to him. And we tell him like the son of God in the garden of Gethsemane, not my will be done, but your will be done. We surrender our lives to God's will and purposes. We surrender our lives trusting that if we knew all that God knows, were as powerful as God is and as good as he is, we would do whatever he does. We yield to his purposes and his plans. Prayer is conversation with God, and he's inviting us into it so that we might experience his goodness and encounter him in conversation. 
so that we might be changed, so that he might change our church, our lives, the world around us. It's the proper place to bring our emotions into his presence. And it's the way that we wage war against evil in the world. And God tells us, the Son of God, Jesus, tells us that to pray is to pause, to attend to his presence, to look to him as if face to face, to give him our attention so that we might rejoice celebrating who he is and what he has done, so that we might ask of him the deepest longings, needs, and desires of our life and the world around us. And then we yield to him, trusting that he is good, that he is great, that he is glorious, and that he is gracious. Uh, a year or so ago, I met up with my friend K.J. Ahn. He's the, uh, he leads the English-speaking ministry of Benary Presbyterian Church here in Richardson. It's a uh, predominantly Korean-speaking church here in our community. Uh, K.J. and I were having an early breakfast and with a few other pastors from Benary Presbyterian. And I showed up at 6.30 a.m. for this breakfast, which, was, which I felt like was early for a breakfast. But they were already seated. Uh, and they looked wide awake, okay? <laughs> they, like, were alert. Uh, and I said, well, hey, guys, I hope I didn't keep you waiting because it felt like, well, they had already been there. Maybe I got the time wrong. And they said, no, 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 no. We just came for morning prayer. And I said, wow, that's really cool. Do you all do that every Wednesday morning? And one of the pastors said, no, we do it every morning. And I said, oh, okay, cool, like this week. Like, it's a week of prayer. You, you do it every morning this week. And, and they said, no, every week. And one of the pastors, he could see that I was surprised that every week, every day, they have morning prayer before 6.30 a.m. He could tell that I was shocked. I mean, I was probably, I mean, it probably awakened me from the fact that I had just woken up and thrown on some clothes to go out for this breakfast. And one of the pastors, he looked at me and without any sarcasm, without any arrogance, he just said, God hears us. And I remember when he told me that. I remember that it shook me to my core. What, what he was saying was, how could we not pray? God is listening. And I have never, I've never left that breakfast table. I remember I went that day afterwards and I cleared my schedule and I just walked around Richardson praying that I would be a person who believed that God hears me, who believed that God hears our church. Oh, to be a man who believes that God hears us, who, believe that God, who believes that God hears me. How would we ever stop praying to be a church that believes this? And what if this month was the month that you came to believe God hears you? He hears your prayers. He is listening to you. What if you begin to become the kind of person who practiced prayer by yourself, with your family, with your friends, with your community, with other people? What if you became the kind of person who would, uh, who would pause a conversation and say, can we pray together right now? What if you were the kind of person who when somebody brought gossip or slander to you said, why don't we pray for that person? What if you became the kind of person who, when somebody gave you anxiety and fear and worry, you didn't respond with advice at first, 
But you said, can we pray together? What if we became the kind of people who believe that God is listening and that he is going to work in our lives and through our lives to pray That's why we're giving this month to meditate on prayer, to learn how to pray and to pray with us. And let me tell you, at the core of my heart, this is truth for you, that if you don't know how to pray, you don't have to stay there. We will teach you how to pray. You can find any of the elders' emails on the website, any of the staff's emails on the website. If you feel like, listen, pastor, I don't know how to pray, we will teach you how to pray. We will walk through this with you again and again and again, and we will learn how to pray together. And you can join us on the last Sunday of this month, and I beg that you would. You know that it's coming. The last Sunday of October, there is going to be a time for us to gather together corporately and pray. And here's the question I would ask of you. What will God do through the prayers of his people on that Sunday? What kind of radical prayers would we bring before God on that Sunday? And how might he work through the prayers of his people? Listen, God hears us. God is listening. He has told us what prayer is. He has told us why we should pray. He's told us what he's going to do through prayer. And he's told us how to pray. He is inviting us in. If you have never prayed, or if you feel like your prayer is a thimble, here is the good news of the gospel. You don't have to pay back the debt of what you haven't done to take the faithful step forward into what God is inviting you to do. That debt is already absolved in Jesus. The point of this sermon isn't to say you're a terrible prayer and you should feel terribly guilty about that. Guilt and that shame, it is gone. But if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, here's the good news of the gospel. In Christ Jesus, that conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you to shame. It leads you to celebration because God has rescued you and freed you. And on the foundation of that rescue and freedom, he is saying, you don't have to look back at the hundred times you didn't pray and I was inviting you to. You don't have to to consider all the moments where you missed a chance to pray or all the things that you pass by in prayer now you can look forward as a son or daughter of God and you can enter into prayer knowing that all of that has been forgotten and forgiven it is as far as the east is from the west that if you feel like your prayer life has been zero up until today God can transform it to a new world and new heights in the days ahead because you are a son or daughter of God in Christ Jesus given access to the presence of God by what Christ has done and we can speak to God and he hears us let's pray Father we love you we thank you for your grace and mercy we thank you God that you hear us that even right now as I pray or that as others on the other side of a screen or the other side of a podcast are hearing me pray that even right now I am joining in with the present work of the Son of God Jesus Christ who is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father that when we pray we enter into the present work of Jesus Christ and that when I stop praying Christ the Son of God will continue to pray. And before I started praying, Christ the Son of God was already praying. And I join that work of intercession right now. And I come before you and I ask you, in the name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, that you would transform us into a people marked by prayer. Radical, urgent, fervent, needy, dependent, strength-filled, risky, faith-filled, and hope-directed prayer. God, make us into that kind of people by the 
power of the Spirit that indwells us in the name of Christ Jesus who keeps us and by the power of the Father who holds all things together in the Son. We pray these things in your name. Amen.